Good afternoon. Welcome to the Middle East Forum's webinar and podcast series, Israel Insider with Ashley Perry. I'm Stacey Roman, and I will be moderating this discussion today. We are pleased to have Mr. Ashley Perry, advisor to the Middle East Forum's Israel office, join us here, join us here each Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern to update us on all the events going on in Israel. Mr. Perry will be giving us a briefing on current Israeli affairs for 15 minutes, then open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen to type your question. And with that, I will turn the discussion over to Mr. Ashley Perry. Thank you very much, Stacey, and good evening from a very white uh, Israel, at uh, least where I am, which is in the Jerusalem region. Uh, we've seen the first snow of the season. It's settling. Um, the roads are closed. And I should apologize in advance if uh, the inter my internet connection gets a little bit spotty. Uh, this, this always happens, and it could be there'll be a power outage at any point. Unfortunately, that's what happens whenever there's a bit of snow. So hopefully, at least for the next half an hour, there won't be. Um, On to uh, the major issue of the week. Last week, we talked about the potential big bang of Israeli politics, the possible plea bargain by former Prime Minister and leader of the opposition, Benjamin Netanyahu. Uh, it emerged last week or the last couple of weeks that uh, he'd been negotiating for some weeks, if not some months, over a plea deal on his three uh, criminal uh, cases, which are uh, ongoing, even as the, uh, the plea deal negotiations were going on. Um, there was some optimism uh, that a deal would be struck. Uh, it did appear that Mandelblit, the Attorney General, the person leading the discussions on behalf of the state, and Netanyahu's lawyers were coming to some sort of arrangement. Uh, there seemed to be some outstanding issues, uh, but a certain amount of flexibility. Um, but when the news broke, it appeared that uh, some of the, uh, the state uh, prosecution teams and other people in the judicial system were outraged that there was a possible light sentence for Netanyahu uh, being discussed, and there were there was suddenly a lot of pressure put on Mandelbrot. Uh, first of all, it should be said that it's not a surprise that there's a lot of outrage in the judicial system. Mm -hmm. Don't forget, for the last few years, at least since the, uh, uh, the indictment was uh, laid out and um, the court case started in earnest, or the investigation started in earnest, I should say, uh, Netanyahu and his proxies would put out very disparaging messages against Mandelblit personally, the legal system in general. Uh, it, it got very personal. Uh, there were suggestions, uh, which may well be true, that uh, Netanyahu and his allies actually tried to do a lot of digging on anyone involved in the case, from the police to the justices, to the state prosecution, to the attorney general. Don't forget the attorney general Mandelblit, Abraham Mandelblit, is a former close ally of Netanyahu to try and discredit phone conversations were relayed to reporters. So it's not surprising that there's a lot of people in the system who took this very personally um, with far more outrage than, than would have otherwise. And possibly because of that, it actually rebounded on Netanyahu because of that hardening of the positions within the judicial system. Uh, it seems that a lot of pressure was put on Mandelblit to at least, if he's not going to send uh, if the deal is not going to involve jail time and uh, some of the other things that seem to be uh, relatively moderate uh, uh, positions on this case, then the least that can happen, the very least, 
is that uh, you know the um, the status of um, uh, moral turpitude um, uh, on on any conviction which would enforce uh, a seven year uh, gap on uh, Prime Minister former Prime Minister Netanyahu being able to uh, be involved in politics. That's something as we said last week. The Interior Ministry former Interior Minister Ari Derry had to go through. Interestingly, Ari Derry's uh, plea bargain was um, was confirmed this week. Um, uh, there was very little doubt in that, but it plays into the picture. As some some speculate that Net uh, Derry's relatively light sentence played into the feeling uh, of Net the Netanyahu camp that he could get off relatively lightly. But what did happen is that there was a hardening on the part of the Mandelblit team, and they said that there is no possibility um, that this uh, plea deal can come without uh, that conviction of moral turpitude, uh, which the Netanyahu team, at least some of them, uh, did not want to countenance. There were some who did. There were some lawyers who said, still take it, it's a good deal. It, it ensures you do not go to jail. Um, but what we did see is that basically time ran out. Uh, as we said last week, Mandelblit, um, his tenure ends on the 31st or the, uh, of January or the 1st of February. And then there's going to be an interim um, attorney general for about a month before they appoint a permanent attorney general. Uh, Mandelblit certainly showed interest in clearing the slate. There was talk that uh, Mandelblit really wanted to try and clear the slate before he went into retirement, at least from this position. Um, so it did seem that there was interest on both sides to get the deals done, but it's clear that they ran out of time if there was even a closing of positions. And when that, that became obvious, uh, former Prime Minister Netanyahu took to social media, uh, a, a 60 second clip basically saying there's been a lot of speculation in the media. Most of it is untrue. I never accepted uh, moral turpitude. Uh, there's a lot of other lies, um, and I'm going to continue leading the Likud uh, and the national camp, the right-wing camp, uh, for a long time. Uh, a lot of people looked into that and uh, looked at what was said, and more importantly, what was not said. Uh, he didn't deny uh, the negotiations were going on. He didn't deny that he was ready to plead guilty on at least two out of the three cases. Uh, and also, he didn't give a time frame. He didn't say... There is no uh, negotiations, that's it. I'm back for good and I'll see the court case to the end. He did not say that. So it's clear that the door has been left open. But what did happen is that really created, uh, or at least try to create this picture of certainty within the Likud. If we talked last week about those who likely saw themselves as heirs um, to uh, Bibi's crown, uh, there were quite a few of the uh, Likud uh, members who, who already had thrown their hat in the ring. Uh, we're talking about everybody from Yuri Edelstein, uh, Yisrael Katz, uh, Neil Barkat, probably well, undoubtedly the most popular out of the bunch, Mi Regev Tachyanigbi, Ami Ochana. And as soon as he put out that clip, we saw uh, pretty much all of them except Edelstein uh, retweet with a message, we support you, uh, we're glad you're back. I mean, it, it went from, you know, the really fawning messages of Mi Regev to I always thought that you shouldn't uh, go into these negotiations. You're the strongest. We have really fawning messages uh, to one by Nibar Katz, interestingly, and even Yishal Katz, both of which have come under quite fierce attacks by uh, uh, Netanyahu's allies. So it's interesting that they were quite quick to say, we stand behind you to fall in line. 
Um, as I said, Edelstein was the outlier here, and uh, his people basically said that uh, the plea deal or no plea deal doesn't make any difference to our position. Uh, yet Edelstein is the only one who openly stated that Netanyahu should anyway uh, leave politics or at least uh, relinquish uh, the leadership of the Likud to uh, ensure that there would be the possibility of a right-wing uh, religious government, even if uh, Edelstein would lose a lot of support for the Likud, mm -hmm. they would still be able to put together a right-wing religious government. So Edelstein's position did not change. He still believes he is a contender and he's calling for uh, internal Likud primaries for the prime ministership uh, before the end of the year. Uh, everybody else, as I said, publicly at least, is now falling into line. Obviously, behind the scenes, things are very different. They understand, everybody understands in Israel, because we saw the pictures, we heard the discussions that Netanyahu was prepared to negotiate. He was prepared to plead guilty. He was prepared uh, to come to a deal. Uh, what that would have entailed, it, it's clear that the parties weren't ready for a deal. What is clear is that he probably won't get a better deal with the next attorney general, even though we don't know uh, the identity of that attorney general. It will take uh, the incoming attorney general some months to, to get caught up with all the intricacies of the case. So what is clear is even if there is a plea deal, uh, it's not going to happen now for many months, as I said, uh, probably well into the late spring, early summer at the earliest. But uh, what uh, is being speculated is that the, the window may well have closed because um, whoever comes in will not be as powerful as Mandelblit, will not have that sort of personal background with uh, Netanyahu. Um, and there is a lot of ill feeling and bad will within the uh, judicial system because of the personal attacks, because of the uh, investigations that uh, took place, um, the, the, the phone tapping, some of the accusations have been uh, against some of the people involved. So it's become very personal. And when they found out that uh, this plea deal potentially would be too soft in their eyes, they came down very hard. So they're going to be very prepared. Whoever comes in next uh, as the Attorney General, they will make sure that the message is relayed that we're okay with negotiating a plea deal, but it can't be anything without, at the very least, um, this conviction on moral turpitude, which would almost certainly spell the end of uh, uh, Netanyahu's political career, uh, which is why he's fighting it tooth and nail. Uh, but it remains to be seen uh, how far he'll go. Will he give up on politics to save himself from going to jail? Uh, let's not forget there are other examples of uh, some senior people in Israel who uh, were prepared not to strike a, a plea deal and it ended up going much worse than we were thinking, uh, most obviously of uh, former President Moshe Katsav, who was uh, indicted in the end convicted of rape uh, at one point, there were discussions that uh, he could get off on uh, uh, some lesser um, um, crimes. Uh, I can't remember exactly, sexual harassment and others, um, and even uh, not see the inside of a prison. He decided not to go to, uh, to the plea deal, believing that he could get off. And in the end, he was convicted of rape and served time in prison. So there's a precedent there for those who believe that they'll uh, get off in the end. The fact that Netanyahu is prepared to, to enter into negotiations uh, lends to the belief, lends itself to the belief that probably he understands that the judicial system uh, is against him. 
he probably has also uh, seen what's going on in court. Um, some of the high profile uh, witnesses on behalf of the prosecution have already started giving evidence. Uh, there's uh, Sean Wolfilber, uh, who's coming up next in the coming weeks, and the, it's the prosecution's intention to show he will be the one that sort of uh, closes the gaps in the prosecution's case. They've made a case that, yes, the Netanyahu family <coughs> were involved in uh, sort of coverage, uh, and others who say, yes, uh, some of the regulation was, in, uh, was, was, uh, was stopped, was suspended, and, and all these other key elements in the prosecution's case against Netanyahu. But Shomo Philbe apparently is the one that uh, the prosecution uh, feel could come in and really close all those gaps and put, you know, sort of uh, um, join the dots together. So there is a feeling that uh, the next few weeks could be uncomfortable for Netanyahu. Maybe that will give him another impetus to try and seek a plea deal or not. Remains to be seen. As I said, the likelihood is there's no plea deal uh, in the immediate future. So what that basically means is the so-called so big bang of Israeli politics has been put on the back burner. Uh, and all the sort of knives uh, within the liquid, apart from Elustines, have been sheathed from now. But it certainly will not be the end of it. It's clear that this whole episode has weakened uh, Netanyahu's position, is standing in the liquid, even if it hasn't necessarily uh, weakened his standing in the eyes of the public. People in the liquid know that he was prepared uh, to accept a guilty plea. On, on many of the, uh, the accusations, and he was prepared to leave at least for a certain time. Um, <coughs> exactly how much time uh, he was prepared to, to leave um, politics remains to be seen, um, but it would have weakened him, certainly, and it's unclear exactly how much and how long he's going to stay at the helm and whether he's going to try and get into immediate negotiations uh, with the next attorney general. So um, it's it's clear that while there is a lot of fawning from the major figures who came out and said that they want to inherit the, the liquid crown, uh, behind the scenes they'd have seen uh, chinks in Netanyahu's armor and it certainly will uh, play in very much to how they uh, move ahead. Um, and, that's, uh, and, and we'll get a bit of a sense of that <coughs> in the weeks and months ahead. Um, that, you know, uh, the weather in Israel is the other big story of the week. I've always said that, uh, it, it, you know, Israelis can, can stand war, can stand conflict, can stand rocket attacks, can stand terrorist attacks. But when it gets to a bit of inclement weather, they don't really know what to do with themselves. So for days we've been hearing about the storm. It's now on us. Um, so that's really the other big news story of the week. But if there's anything else on your mind, I'm happy to answer any questions. <coughs> All right, thank you so much. Uh, so the first question we have is, is there any sort of other stigma aside from, from not being able to serve in politics for seven years that the moral turpitude comes with that Netanyahu would be willing to risk an indictment and possible prison time instead of having that as a plea bargain? It's not, it's not really a, a stigma, it's, it's illegal status. It's, um, it's you know, if, if he is convicted of a crime of moral turpitude legally, he cannot hold any position for seven years. That's it. It's it, it's a, it's a legal situation. We saw, as we said, we saw with Ari Derry, he had to do politics. But like Ari Derry, 
Ariteri Smachanka, but Ariteri returned to politics and his party, you know, uh, definitely Shas lost a lot of its power while he was away, but certainly in the last few years, it's regained a certain amount of power. Uh, his supporters believe that he's innocent, that he's a victim of some sort of conspiracy. Um, and it's very similar to how that he could feel about Netanyahu. Um, so I think that, that you know, would it, be, would it have been possible for Netanyahu to return if he was much younger? Undoubtedly. Uh, don't forget, he did take um, time out of politics um, when he was beaten by uh, Ehud Barak uh, in the late mm -hmm. 90s, but he came back and he's led that he could since 2005. So if he was a younger man, certainly I wouldn't bet against him returning, but uh, he's already in his 70s and I, I can't remember the exact age, but I'm pretty sure he would be in his 80s by the time uh, he would be allowed back into politics. And again, we've had older people in politics, whether it's Ariel Sharon or Shimon Perez, but uh, it's a long time. Uh, and that he could, wouldn't sit around and wait for him. There would be other people who would come in, probably, very possibly, uh, even a new prime minister from the Likud. And it would probably be very hard or much harder for Netanyahu to return. So there's nothing else really that comes with it. His illegal status and the most um, obvious part of it is the fact that uh, he would have to leave uh, uh, public office for seven years. Understood. Thank you for clearing that up. Uh, Eric Selkov asks, since the current government dislikes Netanyahu, why don't they pass a law restricting the number of years a prime minister can serve or something like that? Something else that would make it impossible for Netanyahu to return to power. Sorry. Uh, is it because that would possibly end the current coalition government? No, actually, this is something which is being discussed by this government and probably will pass at some point, unless there's uh, political factors involved. Uh, there is a talk of um, passing a law, and I think it's even gone through the, uh, the Government Committee on Legislation, possibly. At least it's there's been uh, support from almost all of uh, the ministers in the government, maybe Chiquet, maybe not. Um, but basically it would uh, uh, limit uh, a prime minister from serving two terms or eight years, depending which came first, uh, but it wouldn't be retroactive. So even if it was passed tomorrow, uh, Netanyahu's clock, or if he would ever get back into prime minister's office, would only start from day one of the next time. Um, there's no talk of any uh, retroactive um, uh, clause to that. And in fact, I think it would be shot down from the, uh, uh, from the Supreme Court if there was. Uh, there, there was talk, there is talk of another, that, uh, another law which anyone who is under indictment at all, a criminal indictment, not serve as prime minister at the moment. If you're under indictment, you cannot serve as minister. Uh, but there's a sort of loophole uh, that says that uh, that doesn't apply to prime minister. That's what Netanyahu argued uh, all this time. Uh, but there is talk of tightening that up. Uh, but there's less uh, support for that. Certainly, Ayala Shaked is against that. And I believe that she is the head of the uh, government committee of legislation. That's not to say it's not possible to pass it, but there's certainly less enthusiasm for that. But as far as term limits, uh, there is enthusiasm, but it wouldn't uh, be retroactive. Understood. Uh, Ada Tiber asked, uh, to my mind, nobody comes close to the abilities and intelligence of Netanyahu. What do you think the Likud would be without him? Well, 
I mean, there's a debate. I'm, you know, there are those who say that yes, Netanyahu is a genius. He's the greatest prime minister that's ever been in the state of Israel. And there's others that say that uh, you know the PR was more than the actual policies. You know, the country stagnated in many levels. We didn't were able to pay uh, pass a budget. Uh, everything sort of went along with what was good for one person. Uh, that's the argument for term limits because they say you know after a certain amount of time a leader uh, convinces themselves that what is good for themselves is that, uh, for the country it, it was good for them is good for the country and not necessarily uh, the opposite um, so was he a great speaker undoubtedly was he great at communications uh, strategic communications even social media and all the rest of it absolutely there's no one who comes close there's someone who works in political communications, there's no one who comes close to him, but on policies and issues and moving the, uh, the country forward on many, uh, uh, in many different areas, certainly there's, there's great disagreements uh, on that. Thank you. Stuart brought us, uh, with a possible departure of former Prime Minister Netanyahu from an active political role, uh, how will that affect the stability of the unlikely coalition government under the current Prime Minister Benham? Well, when there was a feeling that the plea deal could actually happen, uh, there were a lot of implicit, some even explicit messages that that could change everything. That could change the whole mathematics. Uh, you know, don't forget there's at least three right-wing parties in the uh, coalition. You have Yamina, uh, Naftali Prime Minister, Naftali Bennett's party. You have Gidon Saar, Justice Minister, Gidon Saar's uh, um, uh, New Hope party, and you have um, Avigdor Lieberman's Yisrael Beitena party. Now, Yisrael Beitena, out of the three of them, is the least likely to sort of go across the aisle because they uh, have also said that they're not likely to sit with uh, the ultra-Orthodox parties because of their agenda. The other two uh, have less of a problem with that. Um, we found, especially in New Hope, some people say that this could, you know, uh, change the mathematics. Interestingly enough, there was a lot of talk that if Netanyahu does leave, uh, whether Gidon Saul would go back to the Likud. Uh, as we know, you know, he, he left the Likud and pretty much everyone in his party uh, came from the Likud or came from Netanyahu's camp at one point or another. But he came out at a party, uh, a party meeting this week and said that he has no intention of returning to Likud. There were some quotes who said he would never return to the Likud, but I'm not so sure if that's true. And I highly doubt that that's, it, it, it would be so unequivocal. Um, but certainly if Netanyahu were to leave for whatever reason tomorrow, it would put a lot of pressure on this government. It would give the right wing uh, much more power because they would have leverage, because they would have uh, more than one uh, possibility they would have an opportunity to leave at any one point and that would put them in a very strong position um, but at the moment as I said that's been put on the back burner we saw a nice picture today of all the leaders of the parties or at least the, the parliamentary leaders of the parties having dinner together or smiles they took a camera went to social media went to the mainstream media so they're trying to put on a, a good face and certainly the fact that the plea deal is off the table for now means that it can go back to business as usual for now um, and certainly for the next few months. But if Netanyahu were to leave, certainly that would change the whole dynamics and it would make it far less likely uh, that the, um, the deal uh, between Bennett and Lapid, where uh, Lapid 
uh, would become prime minister would actually come to fruition. Understood. Thank you. Uh, Jeffrey Shaft, uh, switching gears a little bit here. He asks, uh, why are the illegal Palestinian settlements in the West Bank being allowed by the Knesset to be electrified? Well, this is part of, um, it's, it's not really uh, to do with the Palestinian towns, it's more to do with in Israel, um, where there's a lot of Arab towns which are not considered, don't have a legal uh, status, um, and they're not connected to the electric uh, grid and water uh, resources, et cetera, et cetera. So one of the things that's very important for the Ram Party, which is an important part of the government, was to pass this law, which is called the Electricity Law, that would uh, link up not just uh, Arab towns, but there's some you know, Jewish-Israeli majority towns as well. Uh, and even there was talk of uh, you know, quid pro quo and ensuring that uh, uh, Jewish-Israeli uh, settlements over the Green Line that are not recognized would also then receive electricity and water. Um, but it's a very important issue for Iran. A lot of their constituents, especially in the Negev, um, where it's really their base, are not recognized villages, not recognized towns, hamlets, whatever you want to call it. And this law is very, very important for them. Uh, there was a lot of negotiations around this, as you can imagine, a lot of compromises. But in the end, some sort of uh, law will be passed in the coming weeks that will connect at least a large uh, amount of these unrecognized towns and villages uh, to the electricity grid. Thank you. And an anonymous attendee asks, is moving Connemar the first step by Gantz and Lapid uh, to giving up the large part of Judea and Samaria? Absolutely not. No, this, this is an issue that's been on the agenda for a long, long time. It was, it, you know, under right-wing governments, under Netanyahu, nothing was done. The Supreme Court kept on demanding that the government act because uh, the, the, the Supreme Court had said that you can and should demolish Khan uh, al-Ahmar because it's uh, illegal, it's illegally created. Uh, interesting, you know, we hear a lot of um, on the right that say, you know, the, the Supreme Court and the judicial system acts against us, it's got a left-wing agenda and we're trying to push a right-wing agenda. Khan al-Ahmar is an example of the opposite, it's true. You know, the, the, the Supreme Court has said you can and should demolish Khan al-Ahmar and successive right-wing governments didn't do anything about it. Um, so this government was given an ultimatum by the Supreme Court. This is the last time we're going to give you, you know, stay uh, to, to deal with this and basically have said that this is the last time you have to uh, deal with it. What now appears to have been agreed is that they'll move it 300 meters uh, away from its current position. Again, it is a very sensitive issue. It's sensitive domestically uh, and it's extremely sensitive uh, internationally. Um, it's a headache which everybody from the extreme right to the extreme left wish would go away. Uh, it seems that there may be a compromise now happening, but it's not part of a wider policy. Uh, no uh, large swathes of uh, Judea and Samaria will be given up in this government. As, as, as I've said before, because of the nature of this government, because it's right-wing and left-wing and centrist, and even as an Islamist party, there's no way that they can agree on any major diplomatic steps moving forward. Um, so basically, it won't happen at this point. There will be no great uh, unilateral uh, steps, or even bilateral steps with the Palestinians. 
uh, under this government. So no, I don't think it's indicative of anything. It's a long-standing issue, which has been ignored by whoever uh, was in power. And finally, it had to be dealt with. So they tried to find a way to sweep it under the rug without having to deal with it too much. Uh, Neil Sussman asks, Iran has unmanned drones which can carry bombs to Israel. Does that change Israel's calculations? Not necessarily because it's, I mean, uh, I mean, you know, the Iranian military threat has been there for a while, uh, potential nuclear element, uh, how uh, it would attack Israel if it would. Uh, you know, there, there's plenty of ways. Uh, what has happened this week uh, is, you know, with the Houthi from uh, Yemen, Iran's proxy there, attacking UAE and Saudi Arabia. I mean, Saudi Arabia is not necessarily new, but attacking UAE, attacking Abu Dhabi, uh, shutting down the airport as a result of the years of tax, that really has changed the dynamics in the region. And there is a feeling that it's not impossible that the Houthis could uh, directly attack Israel. Uh, they certainly have the capability with drones, with missiles, they've been given very highly sophisticated weaponry from Iran. And the beauty of it from Iran's point of view is they can attack Israel and they can attack UAE and some of its other enemies without necessarily them pressing the button, although everybody in the region knows exactly who's behind it. Um, so it's, it's a very dangerous game Iran is playing. And uh, it does certainly see that, uh, you know, what people call the uh, Hezbollah effect, you know, Hezbollah have all these rockets across the border, pointed at Israel. Uh, now we see uh, in Yemen, there are multiple, uh, you know, very serious and very sophisticated rocket systems which are aimed at uh, some of the more pragmatic uh, uh, Sunni states, whether it's the UAE or Saudi Arabia. So certainly at the moment, you know, what's been happening the last couple of weeks has certainly been changing the game. Uh, perhaps it's bringing Israel closer to some of the Sunni nations because now they have this threat, the very real threat. It's no longer sort of, um, you know, uh, threats, it's actual, it's action. Uh, they have launched attacks against the UAE and the UAE have responded and Saudi Arabia have responded. So the region is absolutely closer to a conflict um, than it's been in a while, certainly in that particular, the, the Gulf area. All right. Well, thank you so much. We've come to the close of our webinar and podcast. Ashley, thank you so much for taking time to update us this week. And for our viewers and listeners, please join us Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern for a webinar on NYC Mayor Eric Adams and the Islamists with Daniel Greenfield. Thank you all for joining us, and I hope you have a wonderful day.